Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Well, there's a phrase that is a common phrase these days about people being spiritual but not religious. And uh, as we all know, church attendance is is plummeting. And um, everywhere in the world except here, of course. (laughs) But the reality is, religious people have managed to disfigure the faith. And we hear it all the time. We hear it way too much. And of course, so much of the media loves to hear about things happening with religious people. They love it. And so they give it a high profile. And and my, my concern is that even that phrase, spiritual but not religious, is beginning to fade away. I think people are just becoming nothing. They're not even claiming spirituality. They're just out there, living life. And C.S. Lewis argues that when people lose faith, it's not that they believe in nothing, they believe in anything. And that's kind of what's happening. And so we as a people of God have to be aware of the possibility that we may be disfiguring the faith. That we can be standing in the way of people's access to the one and living Lord. So Jesus, I have actually two stories that I'm going to reflect this morning. Jesus is dealing all the time with religious people, down in Jerusalem and up around the Lake of Galilee, where he carried out most of his ministry. And here are two people that come to him who have nothing to do with the religious structures of his time. These are not religious people. But they come to him with their need. And notice how Jesus addresses the two of them. First from the Gospel of Matthew, the eighth chapter. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed paralyzed, in terrible pain. And Jesus said, I will come and I will heal him. The officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are. My servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this and they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And then from the 15th chapter. And Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, 
Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. Jesus gave her no reply. Not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all of her begging. And Jesus sent, said to the woman, I was sent only to help the lost sheep of Israel. But she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. That's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted. Her daughter was instantly healed. God added his understanding to this hearing of his word. So Jesus immersed amongst all kinds of religious and semi-religious people, the people of God, the Jews, and they have their ways, their traditions. They have their practices. They have to shut everything down on the Sabbath day. And Jesus is used to all of this. He sees it all the time. He also sees people who are very good at letting others know just how very righteous they are, how good they are, how they qualify for being viewed in a high status among others. Those who are first to let everyone know just how they have adhered to the law. The Apostle Paul was this way. He would brag about his adherence to law. And so they would strut about through the community and they would look down on people who didn't quite measure up. Jesus saw this. And then this one day when he is up around his people up in Capernaum, one of the occupying officers from Rome comes to him. Now, mind you, the Jewish people do not like Romans. They are soldiers who are watching every move they make to make sure that nothing is done to violate what's going on with respect to the rule of the Roman Empire. And the soldiers walk around with what was the first century equivalent of a machine gun. They had a double-edged sword, short and exceedingly razor sharp. And they could yank that out and, and slice somebody up, turn them into ribbons within a moment. And they ruled by the sword. They didn't like the Romans. They resented them. Remember the story about Jesus taking a, a coin from the mouth of a fish. And, and they asked him, well, 
Do we have to pay taxes to Rome? Rome, that evil place, that place that, that has enslaved people and killed people, this horrible place, Rome. And Jesus looked at the coin and said, whose face is on it? Well, Caesar's face. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. They didn't like to hear that. They wanted Jesus to say something like, well, let's rise up against the Romans. It's one of the reasons he was rejected as Messiah, because he wouldn't say, let's rise up against the Romans. Let's march. So here's a Roman soldier, an outsider, comes to Jesus out of deep concern for one of his men. And his, his man is at home and is at, at his home and he's suffering deeply. And, and he's, he says, heal my, my servant. Heal him. Jesus, of course, says, he's healed. I'll come right away. And the centurion soldier responds by saying, you know, you don't need to come. You don't need to come to my house. I mean, this, let's face it, we're all Roman soldiers here. It probably smells bad in there. And we don't want you to be defiled by coming into the house of a Gentile. You don't need to come into my house. Just say the word. I know what it is. I say the word all the time and somebody does what I say to do. Just say the word and it's done. And among all of Israel, Jesus said, I have not seen faith like this until now. Among all those religious people, among all those churchgoers, among all those people who are happy to tell us how righteous they are, all those people who adhere to every jot and tittle of the law, I've never seen such faith until now. An outsider, an outlier. And then he goes north. North on the coast. He's out of his territory. He's at a place that is not full of Jewish people. It's full of Gentile people, Canaanites. And a woman comes to him. And Jesus says some things that are really very astonishing. She comes and pleads with him. My daughter is possessed by a dark force. She's afflicted. She's hurting. She pleads. And Jesus says nothing. Jesus is silent. And we hear this and we, we wonder, what, what is Jesus doing? This doesn't seem very Jesus-like to us. But the reality is, we encounter the silence of God all the time. Silence of God, Auschwitz, Buchenwald. The silence of God, a miscarried child. Silence of God, a couple unable to bear. The silence of God, 
the diagnosis comes back and you hit your knees and you go back to the doctor and it's worse than it was before. The silence of God is so common to our experience. C.S. Lewis wondered out loud, why is it that God seems so present when things are good, when things are successful, when, things, when life is prominent? Why does God seem so silent, so absent? When we really need him. He seems there when we don't need him. He seems gone when we do. And Jesus to this woman is silent. We don't understand. So she goes and begs to the disciples. Pleading, begging, persisting to the disciples. And the disciples look at her, look at Jesus, look at her, look at Jesus, wonder what on earth should they do. And they, they finally say, this woman is bugging us. She is a pain in the neck. Tell her to go away. Tell her to leave. It seems so harsh. But the disciples are playing off of Jesus' silence. Maybe Jesus is rejecting her just like all the Jews reject these Canaanite people. Maybe Jesus is doing what they do. And then Jesus speaks to the woman. And he uses a racial slur. He says it's not good to give to dogs what belong to the people of God, the children of God. This is stymied scholars. That Jesus would act this way, that Jesus would be so un-Jesus-like. What is he doing? When he speaks to her this way, he's met, she's met with silence and then he speaks to her this way. I wonder if Jesus isn't actually intentionally looking like all those religious people. That he's not stepping into the shoes of religious people, acting like they do, pulling out that nasty slur, calling her a dog, meeting her with silence, shunning her, and then speaking so ill to her. I wonder. And then she comes to Jesus. She's persisting. My daughter, my little girl, this one whom I bore, this one whom I raised, she is so afflicted, she is so hurt. Even dogs get crumbs from the table. Jesus. And he is impressed by her faith. Overwhelmed. Stunned. That she would continue with her begging. That she would continue with her arguing with Jesus about the nature of faith. That she persisted. She even argues with Jesus about, well, under these circumstances, this. 
And Jesus declares, your faith is great. Your daughter is well. She wrestles with God. She persists in her desire. Perhaps it is that as we persist with our prayers, with our requests, with, when we hound Jesus, when we hound him, maybe he shows up at a point of his determining, remembering, of course, he's God and we aren't. We don't get to give the timing on such things. But that we are called upon to persist in our, in our pleading, in our begging. We are to persist in that, even though we may met, be met with silence. We persist. And then the promise. Promises that somehow, some way, Jesus will be there. Jesus will, will be present. I've been privileged to meet people outside the church. It's one of the great joys that I have. I, I meet people who have nothing to do with church or faith or anything else. And they're always a little bit taken back because oftentimes they've already used some bad language and then I tell them I'm a minister. <laughs> and I see in them, in so many instances, some of the same attributes that I see in this soldier and in this woman. They, they don't think they're worthy. They look at their life. I had one tell me, Pastor, there's some things I couldn't even tell you that I've done. They don't think they're worthy. Others argue with God. They pull off some lame argument off the internet and think it's a knockout punch on faith. And, and they give me those arguments. And I simply take their punches. I smile and, and let them know that I've heard this before and I still believe. I know the arguments. That somehow or another, in their arguing, in their persisting, somehow there is great faith in those who are outside the circle of faith. It's a crazy thing. We ask about, what about those people who never heard about the gospel? Those people in the, the, the Incas in Peru before the gospel ever get there. What about those people? C.S. Lewis has a wonderful scene in the last battle as they're entering into Narnia. Aslan, who represents Christ, stands at the gate. And as people come in, and as the animals come in, as they look in the countenance, they look at the face of Jesus, they either love or are abhorred. So they either go in further in and further up, or they turn aside at the face of Jesus. 
And so it is that faith is a great, a great mystery. But ultimately, faith is not the gathering of a bunch of doctrines that we can throw around and use, but faith is trust. Trusting our Lord. Trusting that Lord, the Lord is, has not abandoned us. Yes, even when he is silent, he has not left us. Even when we have no idea how or where he may show up, even if he does, we trust. We trust, and then some of our prayers, because of his silence, turn into arguments, but we still trust. And we persevere. I wonder, as that woman turned and walked quickly toward home, tears streaming down her face, if she thought of the face of Jesus, for she looked in his face and she trusted, she loved, her heart was moved by the countenance of God with us in Christ. St. Augustine said, if it's true that we cannot look at the face of God and live, then let me die. Let me die. I often say, I don't know cause and effect with prayer. I don't know how prayer works. I do know talking to Marianne Raps this week that she felt the prayers of this congregation. I don't know how. But somehow, when we look to Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. Things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. You join me in prayer. Thank you, Lord. And we don't have to be religious. We don't have to know the difference between Arminianism and predestination. Thank you, Lord. But all we need is you. And you handle the rest. We thank you, O Lord, that you've shown to us your lovely face. We pray in your name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.